I'm Gab. He's Jules. Blue skies over oh, yeah. West London. In fact, as blue as those shirts of those handsome four-time oh, world champions nice. who okay. won't be going to the World Cup. Yeah, I know, I know, okay. I know. But look, like, other people will be going to the World Cup. Yes, possibly right. Cristiano Ronaldo. Possibly, possibly North Macedonia. We're going to yeah. get into all that later. Possibly Slatan. Possibly Leva. Uh, yeah. We've got massive playoffs coming up in uh, in CAF in Africa. We're going to get into all that. Um, but we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, talk about something that we don't often get to talk about That's because true. it's not something that I cover directly, but I know you follow <laughs> and like our lot. guest certainly follows. Yeah. Uh, welcome aboard, Sophie Lawson. Um, you write about many things in women's football. Um, you've come on board. You'll be joining us for ESPN's coverage uh, of the Euros. And I want to start with the UEFA Women's Champions League. We had the first legs last week. Yeah. First thing that kind of would strike somebody who doesn't really follow um, women's football is the teams involved. And because you've got Real Madrid, you've got Barcelona, you've got Paris Saint-Germain, you've got Juventus, you've got Bayern. um, Big brand name clubs. Yeah, you also have Arsenal. Eh, And then obviously you have have Wolfsburg and and Lyon as well. and this is all part of a function that maybe to help commercialize the game and whatever to push it. A few years ago, a lot of traditional big men's clubs, some of them always had women's divisions that were very strong for many years. Like Others Arsenal. said, let's try to invest heavily very quickly, like Real Madrid, for yeah. example. I think they bought a third division club and kind of merged with them, put money in. I mean, off the top, is this good for the women's game? Is this a good model because it also meant that a lot of sort of traditional teams in women's football kind of got priced out for big clubs. Many of them see it as a marketing expense, a branding exercise. Yeah, I think for, for a lot of clubs, it sort of started out as good PR, but then it gets to the point of, oh, hey, we want to actually do well with our women's teams as, as we do. We try to do with our men's. But yeah, it, it can be a bit of a, a worry for the smaller clubs who are getting squeezed out along the way. Yeah, I, no, I, I just think it's, it's it's a shame if people still see it that way because all those clubs take it really seriously and we've seen that in the quarterfinals first leg that we've had. We've had some yeah. really competitive games. Clubs are not just investing in, in signing big names players, which they do, but they're also through the academies. I know that in France, for example, both PSG and Lyon are putting quite a lot of effort and money to a certain extent to the academies to try to get the next generation through, which I think is also where you can't just spend your whole life trying to buy the best U.S. striker or the best French defender or the best English midfielder. He also has to come from within your club, which I think more and more are doing. I mean, I think my point was more about how many of these teams would would be in the same position in the men's Champions League. Yeah, uh, and so it is, is more... No, and other traditional teams that have been big from Scandinavia and whatever maybe have struggled. Um, but in terms of the games themselves, uh, Sophie, you wrote about on the website, you did a recap of the first legs. We've had surprises. We've had some fi- delicately balanced ties, as they say. Delicately mm. poised, I should say. Uh, absolutely. I think it's been one of the best sort of quarterfinal stages we've had for for a long, long time. And especially when you look at, say, so quite topical for the both of you, the Juventus-Leon game. Um, <laughs> was a little unexpected with how it ended, but... Uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a it's been a really great quarterfinal so far. It's good. I mean, we had the classical as well. You know, yeah. Like we said, we had uh, twists and turns, and and pretty much all of them are still very open for the second leg uh, this week. So it's great. So the people who want to watch the UEFA Champions League, I'm going to promote a different uh, broadcaster uh, it's here. It's right to do, but yeah. One of the things is that it's on YouTube, um, which 
Uh, it's it's on YouTube on via the zone. They they bought I think the I don't know if it's the global the global rights, uh, Sophie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this is good because it's accessible to everybody, right, Sophie? Absolutely. I think there might be the odd sort of spot in, in the world where it's not available, but it's the first year where you they've packaged the entire broadcast rights. So everything is available for free on YouTube in multiple languages on the commentary, but you've got to know to go to YouTube. Yeah. It's the only I, and maybe that's kind of where the promotion thing comes in. You're I not going like to be flicking through season, your... Yeah. yeah, no, I mean... But like, for example, they keep, you know, uh, right for every single game where you can watch it. So on Canal Plus or on BT Sport, whatever channels. And for this, for the PSG and the Lyon ties, they didn't put any way it was for YouTube. So if you didn't know, like myself, if you're just buying the keep and read and, and wonder what time is kickoff and where can I see it, you right. could not, which is rubbish. To be fair, the keep is so old school. They probably know, don't still, even know that YouTube still, exists, come on. to be fair, right? Come on, uh, this is an important time for women's football, you know. So It is, and there's a ton going on, and we're going to get into it in a more granular way and also look at uh, some of the other things going on there, the Champions League, because I know, Jules, you were uh, on top of all that. That's going to be on the Gab and Jules podcast. We'll be talking stuff like... Maybe biennial World Cup. I suspect Sophie and I might disagree a little bit on that one. Um, and just more generally, the development model for women's football. Do you drive it with stars at the top or do you try to expand the base at the bottom? All right. One thing that strikes me, going back to what we said before about kind of the, the branding and, and the marketing of these big teams is you look at this and Real Madrid, Barcelona, Arsenal, maybe Arsenal less so, but Paris Saint-Germain, Juve. These are all credible champ, men's Champions League quarterfinal yeah. caliber teams um all these teams are from the big five leagues uh sophie as you see it we've touched upon this is this is this an, is, is this a problem is there some in other parts of europe especially places that have strong histories of women's football and it's kind of supported women's football especially you know in those years when sponsors weren't putting money in i'm thinking of scandinavia especially yeah. um is there any kind of resentment or backlash to this? Is there, com is there conversation about maybe financial fair play? Or is there a sense that, okay, you guys drive it and then we'll kind of worry about the equalizing later from a, com from a competitive standpoint? Just, it, it feels like you've, as soon as more teams jump to, to a professional setup, you, you kind of, you hit this quandary. So you've had some of the odd teams in, in, in the history of the game who've gone professional when it's either worked out or it's not. Um, generally hasn't. Leon, the big exception there. But as soon as you start having professional leagues and, and some of your big teams who do sustain it, it makes everyone say, well, we either have to join them or we, we know that we can't compete. And you see this push from, from the big brands as well. And you, you know that the little teams are going to get squeezed, that their licenses are going to get bought out. But it's it's the sort of the split between sort of the romantic side of, well, what, what about these small teams? What about the ones who, who drove it? With, with the sort of the realism side of, okay, but if you want to keep growing the game now, you have to invest. If you have, it's, it's for the good of the players in the long term as well. If you want this to be a professional sport, people with money have to be involved and that means the bigger teams and that means then you have sort of your parallels with with men's football and you've got to kind of reconcile it within yourself because i i would love it for all sort of the all the sort of small teams and and the ones who were who, who pushed it so, so much through the beginning for them to still be around and, and be important in the same way 
but you know that that's not really sustainable. So you kind of have to make the decision yourself as, as an individual as you kind of come into the game. But uh, yeah, it's it's a shame to see the sort of the smaller teams disappear or end up getting absorbed in one way or another, and, and then just to have it as as good as a PSG or a Bayern Munich is, it's still PSG and Bayern Munich. And if that's not what you're into, as either a fan of something else or just not into those teams, it's it's a tricky one. Close. Your first shot with us already. You're picking on PSG. I mean, this is not nice. <laughs> this is, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, just 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 to clarify for those who don't know, like when you say professional setup, what we're talking about here is obviously that there are top women players who maybe make seven figures. Although I don't think there's very many, no, many at least no. certainly not in terms just in terms of salary. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, in one of the things that I struggle with a little bit is NWSL, um, the league in, in North America, which I Sophie, correct me if I'm wrong. This is probably qualitatively the best league in the world. Would you say NWSL? It, it's that's a very subjective. Okay. No, just tell him when he, the, you know, no, he's wrong. Honestly, I don't know. So I, I'm you're glad wrong. that there's she a debate. You're wrong. It's no, not. I'm Basically, glad that there's a debate. Um, but it's 350 million people in the U.S., world's biggest economy. They somehow only have 12 teams. Minimum salary is $35,000 a year, which, you know, it, it harkens back to the early days of, of MLS where, you know, yeah. people had to take on second jobs coaching you know, the bad players, but people were still starting. I remember reading years ago when David Beckham went to the LA Galaxy, he was teammates with this guy named Alan Gordon, who, you know, basically had like three flatmates. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, when he wasn't going to training, he was going to go and, and, and coach, you know, uh, a boys club. Um, so when we talk about professionalism, are we talking about standards of training facilities or so on, or are we talking going to women and saying hey this is what you're making put your studies on hold put your future career on hold because the reality here is that you can play in top flight men's football and then get out and never have a real job again it's very difficult to do that in women's football even if you're you know a a top flight player right absolutely and not to make sweeping generalizations, oh, please, um, we do especially this all the between time. the sexes. Um, if you kind of go back through women's football, even now, but just a couple of years ago as well, a lot of this of your top players are very, it's not just down to earth, but it feels that you know, their heads are really screwed on because they're aware of all this stuff. So, you know, they're, they're, they're studying whilst they're playing. Now we've got full time, so it's a little bit more of a, uh, how much of your time do you want to give up your studies? But players just, you know, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't go through the draft in the US uh, and you know, and go through the whole collegiate system, which plenty of players still go over and do, then you'll study whilst, whilst you play. Maybe some players, they leave it a little bit later. So you can see them getting their degrees in their 30s. Some are very keen to get them out of the way earlier. So set themselves up. But, I think there's no one under any sort of massive sort of disillusions in the sport. You know, it's what you, it's what you do for a period of your life. You you might love it. It might be a, an absolute passion, but you know that there is life after the sport. Whereas, yeah, men's football, it yeah, does feel I, like... Yeah, but, and it's much. growing anyway. Like, I think the highest player in French football, Nadiani, is on 50k 
50,000 euros a month, which is a lot of money. Five years ago, she would never thought that she would be on that kind of money. And hopefully in five years time, she'd be, or the best French player would be on 100,000. And this is, this is, I think, the way he has to grow because then the smaller clubs and the smaller player, if you want, will earn more money as well than they, than they do now. In the US, in England, in France, everywhere, you would expect more revenue to come in. We saw 20,000 at Old Trafford in the United game in the WSL at the weekend, which is fantastic. Arsenal also played their Champions League game against Wolfsburg at the Emirates. So all of that is great. It's just growing and improving years after years. Maybe for, I don't know, Sophie, what you think, but maybe it should be growing quicker, faster. I know you like an idea of, of having the World Cup every two years because you believe that for the growth of the women's game, this could. I've, you know, maybe Sophie disagrees, but where, are you, where, where, do you, where do you think we are in terms of the growth of the women's game, Sophie? Is it going according to, to plans or to your plan? Do you think it could go quicker? It should go quicker? Yeah, is well, it, is it? what would you do better? I'm going to Doha next week. I'm sure Johnny will have lots of time Johnny's for like me. a brother to Gab. Exactly. Know, so. No, no, no. He was born... Yeah, yeah, of course. I know. 20 minutes away from, from, I mean. from where, where almost, we holiday. Almost so, no, seriously. I know you've thought about this on the back of what Jules said or anything you want to mention. I'm not going to say give me three, give me two, give me five, whatever. Things that should happen and which you think yeah, are realistic. No pressure, but you know. Yeah, no pressure. You knew this was coming. <laughs> I, just, I think it's interesting uh, what, what, what Jules said as well about sort of how much players are earning. And I think we're definitely at a point in men's football where we're, we're all balking at how much players earn in men's football. It feels... They deserve it, but it's also an amazingly large amount of money. And and it's everything that kind of pushes women's football to being parallel to men's football. You're saying, yes, we want these women to be fully professional. We want them, you know, this to be sustainable. We we also want them to be sustainable with what they earn and, and not, you know, take the mickey with, with what we're paying them. But are we getting to the point where we're just going to start throwing silly amounts of money at this stuff? Can we maybe, should, should we pull it back and be a little more, more more sensible and so we, you know you don't need to put that much into salaries um this is why footballers don't like me when i start saying stuff like this <laughs> yeah it, it no, just, but, it feels, but, yeah but 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 sophie you hit the nail on the head right so this i'm sorry uh, who, who is this french woman Gianni. Right. Gianni. okay so she's, she's very very okay well. that's fine so paris saint-germain obviously you have a very wealthy owner right if she got paid ten thousand euros less a month uh, that would be 120,000 euros. I'm assuming you could rent out a whole bunch of football pitches and hire a whole bunch of coaches and run a whole bunch of programs for girls and women who want to play. You might even be able to go into maybe the French second division and maybe get some sort of insurance or maternity leave or, or women's health stuff, stuff that benefits that people will need if they want to be semi-professional. I mean, and that is a way of expanding the base. Is, is that what we're talking about, Sophie? Yeah, a little bit. I, I think sometimes as well, and, and I know you've you've done this as well, Gab, when you've, you've looked at sort of FIFA and they've said, hey, we've got this money. We can either give it to the World Cup winners or we can invest it in grassroots. It's like sometimes you, if you've got the money, you can do both um, rather than having to be one or the other. And yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want to see... You know, the players having sort of to make sacrifices and, and being, you, you know, having to go, well, actually, yes, if I can give that part of my salary to, you know, if, if you, it's just, I just the whole, the whole picture of women's football trying to ape men's football, 
is is something like we know that men's football isn't perfect. We know it's made so many mistakes over the years. And I think we should be smart enough to say, hey, those are the mistakes. We're on this trajectory to make the same mistakes. How about we don't? Instead of just <laughs> no, blindly following. I, I'm 100% with you yeah, on me that. too. And this comes up when people bring up Super League. When we bring up, when we talk about even about men's football, we're talking about the system that exists in Europe and in South America, where the men's game grew up out of club football. 100, 120 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about. And it worked great for South America and it worked great for Europe. I tell you what, it's not necessarily working out great for men's football in other continents. Yeah. And it's not written in stone that it needs to work out that way for, for women's football going forward. And I'll give you two examples. Well, one obvious one is attendances. In, you know, you mentioned 20,000 people at Old Trafford for Manchester United who do not have a great tradition in women's football and so on. When you look at the attendance numbers, even well, with the exception of some NWSL teams who, you know, are well over 20,000, some hit 30,000 very regularly, attendance numbers remain relatively low. Yeah, they do. Um, whereas for international games... Again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sophie, because I don't want to say stuff that's incorrect, but last time I checked, international games, especially tournaments, yes, attendances, viewing figures are very, very high. So that can bring up an issue of a biennial World Cup, which we can get to in a minute, which I know you don't love necessarily. But I'm thinking something more basic, like, like Nations League. Nations League football, so that teams of the same standard can play each other more often, perhaps have more... Um, international football for women and the reason i say this is that i love the fact that we talked about the big clubs going and pumping in money and sponsors and so on but these guys are running a business what you don't want is these guys going in and saying yeah we'll fund a women's team blah 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 look at our new training ground and cryogenic chamber and all this crap and then all of a sudden uh uh-oh we've got shareholders we're not making as much money as we thought all right, let's pack it up, and you guys go get get, get change behind the the porta potty, right? I don't think anybody wants to see no, that. No, no, definitely. So there has to be a balance there, and we know that women, the international football, international women's football, might not be entirely self sustaining, but it actually does generate significant revenue. Yeah. What's your take on that? For example, something like a nation's, and this is the model, by the way, which rugby, and to a lesser degree, cricket, adopted a long time ago where it's really driven by the international game. Mm. Um, is that a solution? Use that to then fund the grassroots and, and whatnot? Or does it have to be the club game? Or do you do both? <laughs> Ideally, you'd want to do both. Uh, I, I think it's a strange one uh, because I, unlike the both of, you, I, both of you, I'm English, you know, and I, I have the, I've grown up through the club game being king. You know, whereas so many other countries, it's everything's about the national team. So I, I think my view is always going to be a bit wonky because of that, because of the the Premier League era and, and everything that's you know been sort of pumped into it. But I think as well, if you look just in Europe, European teams, every 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 FIFA window are playing qualifiers. If they're not qualifying for the Euros, they're qualifying for the World Cup. So then you've got a problem of when when would they play? But and you've also kind of as you look around the world, there is massive disparity across the different uh, confederations in the different regions. And, and what I'd like to see is more regional tournaments. And we are moving to that, to, to be fair. And in in um 
in in, in uh, coming well Concacaf and, and and as well in out in CAF, which is great. But you've got these disparities, and you've got teams that get end up getting falling off the FIFA rankings because they end up lying dormant for so long. And I think that the parts, uh, the areas of the game that that need the biggest love, and the, the sort of the countries that need the biggest love, are the ones that tend to go dormant, uh, dormant, and you just you need sustained competition for them. But I don't necessarily think having to spend a massive amount of money so fly around different parts of the world and yeah i i I think there's got to be something better you can do regionally and if you look in in a sort of the southern african regions around kasafa that's your biggest growth in africa right now is the kasafan region and it's teams also that get to play in the kasafa championship uh, as as um invite invitees there, there's been massive growth in, in, in that region and in that part, just for Africa, all the good stuff, with the exception of Nigeria, who have always been massive, uh, but that's where all the good stuff happens. And I kind of want to see that model used more, that you can kind of split stuff up into regions and then you can make it bigger and bigger and bigger, but you've got to sort of start smaller. Um, one point... I. Jules and Jules and I are opposed to. Well, I think I don't want to speak for you. No, opposed to the European no. Super League for men's football. Yeah, yeah? Uh, for UEFA, it's not a good idea. Many different like. reasons. Yeah, we're not a fan. But I'm wondering here. You know, we Barcelona won La Liga last year with a goal difference of 700 odd. 32 right? games, 32 wins. They, were, um, they are amazing. Though. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, this weekend we saw here in England. Chelsea being 7-0 up, uh, I think, early in the second half. If there is a disparity like that, um, I'm also imagining maybe in, you know, I talked about how all these teams are, are from big five leagues. Maybe there's teams in Scandinavia or, or, or whatever who, who could reach that level. It's just that every week, they, maybe they're the super club in their country and they don't play against great opposition because maybe they're the one club that has decent facilities or whatever, right? How do you feel about a Super League in women's football? Is that model out the window for you, non-starter, because you're English and you love your club football and your pyramid and whatever? Or could that be a driver to generate, you know, and obviously it wouldn't be a closed Super League. It would be, you'd have have to have promotion, relegation, national championships, whatever. Could something like that work? Are you concerned about the carbon footprint? I, well, one, I, I won't hear you disparaging the pyramid. Um, <laughs> Good answer. This is such an important, but no, it's such an important structure. Um, yeah, I like I, the the World Cup next year is is split between Australia and New Zealand. I'm already worrying about carbon footprints. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be one one hit for the planet for unnecessary reasons. But uh, I even if, for me, I think even if you have an open Super League, it's never going to be that open. And you know what? You mentioned Barcelona. I think the nicest way of referring to Barcelona is it a team of freaks. Like they are, that they're just at such a high level, such a ridiculously high level that even they, you know people sort of just see that and assume that the Spanish league is really weak. It's it manages to be one of the strongest uh, leagues in, in in Europe. It's it's really competitive. But then Barcelona blow through town and they just rip teams apart because they're just one of a kind. Yes, Chelsea might have just done something 
a little bit mean to, to, to Leicester over the weekend. Again, a, a team that is more used to handing out those types of results. But I think it's it's all just part and parcel of the growth. You know, Leicester haven't been full-time for a long time. You know, they've got to learn, they've got to grow. And it's, you know, Chelsea... It conversely have been investing for a while it's not a surprise that they've got a team that has a, has a high wage bill I think you kind of have to let these leagues balance themselves out and give teams the chance to invest if they want to and it, as soon as you start moving to the idea of a super league and stuff it gets a little bit for, for me it gets a little bit gross if, if we're being honest but I think you've got the Champions League you get a chance to see these teams up against each other and, and have that more a level of competition if you think you want it or you need it but you know Chelsea have dropped points this season they've made mistakes I think everyone kind of has even Lyon for all their dominance in France have, mm. have made errors here and there and I think it's still we're still so early in, in the professionalisation of the women's game that it's you know it's not you know, people want to say it's it's ready at this stage or it's at that stage, and compare it to where the men's team, uh, the men's game is right now. But we're we're still like decades behind catching up. All right, I'm going to gross you out even further then, uh, since oh, no. you find the European Super League concept gross. Um, you know, I I was wondering where in in Europe in the men's game, men's club game, they are far ahead of everybody else in the world. I don't. No, no disrespect to our friends in Brazil and Argentina, no. but that's just a fact, right? Um, it's not the case in the women's game. Um, I'm imagining the top teams in the NWSL could probably compete, or maybe even beat with some regularity, some of these top teams in Europe. Yeah. I, you tell me about Australia and the, is it, it's called the W League, if I'm not mistaken, unless it's been rebranded. It's been um, rebranded. Oh, is it? Oh. There you go. What's it called now? It's it's the A League. It's the A League women because it's A League women, women as well. Okay. First season of it. Gotcha. Just wrapped right, up. Okay. Right. What about some sort of club World Cup spectacular with all the big names there, where you could actually see the thorns and the rain go and take on Leon and maybe the rain versus Leon wouldn't be so much fun. That would be kind of in-house. But yeah. but but you know what I mean, right? And and City and whatever and the new team in, in, in LA that everybody's excited about. It's something like that. I'm just talking about commercial viability, visibility, casual fans who say, man, that was fun. What's my local team uh, so I can go and watch in the pyramid that Sophie loves so much? No, just kidding. Um, but you, you know where I'm going with this, right? What's your view on that? Is that viable? Well, there's there's two things. Um, firstly, there's um, there's a couple of uh, friendly tournaments, in, invitational, whatnots uh, that that take place in the summer in in the US that generally have sort of like a, a Manchester City or a, a Lyon. I think Barcelona last season were down in Louisville, Bayern Munich. That's You've got a couple of those, and they've sort of had the thorns. And you know, um, at one point, North Carolina Courage beat Lyon, and everyone said, "Well, you know, that's that's that done." But you've got misaligned seasons, so you've got French teams or English or German teams going over as they're right at the start of preseason versus American uh, NWSL teams right in the middle of their season. So you've got that imbalance to begin with, but you've got a couple of these sort of these friendly these friendly tournaments which get a few more eyes on on whatnot. But it does feel like 
there's a big campaign to, to push towards a club world cup which again carbon footprint is but i think you always kind of have this issue of some teams will be in season and some won't and some will probably have some ridiculous travel schedule that's going to exhaust them before they okay, get but so, sorry so I, I take your point about in season right but that's the case you know it, it's a globe right we have a southern hemisphere and northern hemisphere yeah. that's the case in the men's game it's a case with the women's world cup i mean it's a case everywhere right that, that can't be the reason not to do it right no no not at all um it's just i was it just feels like people want to make proclamations about teams whereas there's never sort of the parity to com- compare them in if you if you want to compare them you never kind of have that opportunity but say some do we do have these sort of little mini tours about uh that, that happen over the summer you know i think louisville beat um by munich and i think it was psg was that that tournament uh mm. last summer so obviously louisville racing louisville uh, are the best team in the world because of that uh, uh, no offense to, to racing louisville <laughs> but it's it, it's a strange one to, to, to watch because you're seeing because as you watch it you know these players you, you are just knackered because this is their first match back in or, or, or whatever but um yeah i think we're i think a club world cup is inevitable and is it a, is it good or just inevitable i think it's inevitable oh. <laughs> okay all right, all right. We, we figure out we're used to out of that one jules i think i think he's been um and I I like I like when big clubs meet each other. So I have to be honest here, uh, and I would be I would be very keen to watch the best um, the best US teams against the best European team. That kind of stuff I love it. I think a lot of people would. I think whether we like it or not, whether it fits in the calendar, which is already as you said super busy, and I, and I get it. I think it will let it will let it will get more people watch it, and I think this is great. I think it's been an incredible year. For women's football, in in the sense that we've got Euros, as we said, at the end of the season, well, in the summer here in England, that's going to be great. Ada Hegerberg, for example, has gone back with Norway for the first time in five years, which I think is a great story. We've had a few quite high-profile players giving birth recently, and and I think having to deal with that, and, and I think this is a really good thing for clubs also to adapt to some of their players at 28, 29, wanting to be a mother. I think is great. We've had some bad press in that sense with the Kira Amrawi and the whole that PSG mess, which I don't think uh, is great for women's football, but hey, he happens. But that's not really a women's football story anyway. Like, well, it people is because, love, it is because they happen to be women who are professional footballers. I know, but still. They're nothing to do with the... I mean, they could have been accountants. No, no, I know, but it happened that they were footballers. And I just think, I just think this is an incredible right. year. And I don't know how you assess this year or this season, if you want to talk in season, uh, but I just think that... It's been great for the game, what we've seen in the last eight or ten months. Are you as bullish as Jules? I, th- I think I think it's been good. And I think you kind of need that as well after sort of the last two years everyone's had. That you need sort of that light at the end. So, oh, we've got Euros and people will be able to go to games and, and see all these teams. And, hey, you can come to England and you can watch some football for the first time in a long time. Because it felt like there was a massive pickup after the Women's World Cup in 2019. Obviously in America, definitely through parts of, of Europe and, and more interested in, say, like Brazil and stuff. But then you hit the pandemic and everything gets a bit... Yeah. Um, like, you know, it, it feels like everything is kind of... In football senses, at the very least, it, it, there's there's a lot on the horizon. It, it feels a positive time to be involved in the game, and it's speeding up the growth as well. And 
by the look of it, the Euros again will give it another little kick along down the line. So it's, it's well, to look forward to. Uh, Sophie, yeah. that, that finally something uplifting, which of course I need given my how. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. my team won't be at the World Cup, at I least know, not exactly. the Men's World Cup. Um, Sophie Lawson, thank you so much. Delighted to have you on board and have a good one. All right, enough woso. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, Gab. Portugal hosts North Macedonia in the playoff final, Jules. Obvious question. Can yeah. Macedonia, North Macedonia, North Macedonia, slay another giant? Wow, that's the question, Gab. At least we know how they would play because you, you guarantee they would be exactly the same way as they played against, against Italy when they're going to sit really deep and rightly so and don't leave much space. And then Elmas is back, which is obviously a plus for them. And then try to try to hit on the counter, try to get maybe a set piece, or like Trakowski did against Italy, try to you know to hit one long yeah. <laughs> long range. Whether this time Diogo Costa does better than Donnarumma, if you think that Donnarumma was at fault, which I, I don't really agree with. And then for Portugal, it would be be patient, take your time, unless you score early, and then I think they could be two, three, four, and five. Yeah. Apart from that, stay stay patient. They certainly have the firepower on the bench and starting. For the, Portugal to be enough. I mean, I, I think the way North Macedonia win this game, and I say this with the greatest respect, is if Portugal lose it. If you see that scenario where somehow, you know, because North Macedonia sits so deep, mm. I don't know what Fernando Santos is thinking. He's got a million attacking players yeah. out there, and it's just like a ton of bodies, and it's chaos, and the crowd starts to murmur. Somebody throws his hands up in the air. Not Cristiano necessarily. No, not. I don't mean Cristiano. No, I'm not no, talking no, no, specifically no. about Cristiano. It's like, could be somebody. Could be Bruno Fernandez. Yeah, if he knows? plays. Yeah, if he plays, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the minutes wear on, and then maybe a set piece. Uh, you know, Bardi. I don't know if he's going to go and, and press Moutinho like he pressed um, Jorginho. Uh, Jorginho well, last Moutinho time. Is maybe not as yeah, as key. Yeah, but yeah. Bardi. But then maybe that Bardi's got quality. No yeah, question about it. The and they have Elmas as well. So yeah. I, it's tough. It, but. They can't do it again, surely, can they? It's amazing. I mean, this would be amazing. This would be the is best this, qualifier round for a team. This ever. would be the ultimate. Yeah, it would no, be this, the ultimate. you know. I, Speaking of Portugal, Gab, according to reports, because Cristiano Ronaldo will end uh, the season empty-handed at Manchester United, we said no trophy for the first time in a very long time, he will lose around £5 million in bonuses. Yeah, so this is a report that's out there that because obviously he was on that enormous salary yeah. at Juve, he took, he took a, a bit of a pay cut. Um, the reports I saw were something in the, in like the, the £35 million a season range, which, by the way, is... Just an enormous amount of money, it right? Is. You kind of realize how he, Messi, are just so far beyond, yeah. just just in terms of salary, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is why these people bring up, oh, but he makes you so much money commercially. Yeah, no, it's priced into how much you're paying him. Of course, you know, um, you're not getting that amount just for football output. It's because he makes you money other ways. Um, so yeah, I think you know, five million pounds works out to hundred grand a week. Uh, if you think in Premier League terms, I think he can weather that. Did, did, did you do you think he thought he was going to win the FA Cup because? Or did you think he goes like, yeah, yeah, five million because we're going to win the Premier League or the Champions League? Uh, look, I think at this level, I really don't think he like 
cares about money other than keeping score True. and other than, you know. True. And he's going to back himself to get more bonuses, yeah, of right? Course, I mean, of course. Poland hosts Sweden in the other playoff final. Slatan Ibrahimovic oh. and Emil Kraft. Yeah. Not yeah, quite the same thing. Sure. Uh, they're back available from suspension. Poland will be without Arik Milik and Mateusz Klik. Yeah. Jules, how do we see this? I think this is a very exciting one. I don't think Ibra will start. Yanni Anderson said already he's not ready. I think he played 11 minutes in the three games with Milan since coming back from injury so only came on late I don't think he's fit enough to start for example but you can bring him on after an hour if needed if you're already 3-0 up then wait and he plays the last 10 minutes yeah, but here's a like question that. what if you're 1-0 up and under pressure yeah. do you bring on Slatan just for the psychological Slatan effect yeah for the leadership kind of thing on the pitch I mean it's Lewandowski against Ibra of course one of them which is a shame will not go to the World Cup which is I think the last World Cup unless Lewandowski Keeps going on for another four years. He's 34, I doubt it. So, why I think this is go? another game where I think the home crowd is going to impact things, possibly for positive, positive possibly for negative. Because obviously, Poland, they had the coaching change. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. They had the bye. If things start not going, I'm not saying they're going to turn on them and start booing them, but you know, you can really. When you come out on the pitch, we've been there. I mean, as not that I've played in front of 60,000 people, but, no, no, but I've seen other seen people it. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you get the roar at the beginning and then things kind of go quiet. It is yeah. hugely deflating to players. I mean, they've yeah, told us yeah, that. Yeah, of so. course, yeah. And Zlatan says the Ballon d'Or is a political prize, Gab, which may explain why he obviously never won it. I have a feeling that you agree with him. Okay. You, you too, like, <laughs> hey, I love the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> I agree with him on the first part that it is a popularity contest. Um, that's probably not the reason he never won it. No. As phenomenal as Slatan was, of course. Um, I don't. I mean, I haven't gone through his seasons forensically one by one, but I'm pretty sure that if I had a vote, and clearly given what I've said, France football will never give me a vote. Um, no. I don't see any season where he was clearly above everybody else and should have won it. I just don't. No, I, don't I, I don't see that happen. As much know. as I would love him to have won it, there's yeah. no Champions League win, for example. There's no big tournament win with Sweden, which I guess is expected. But yeah, he had a good. He had loads of punchlines this week as well. You know, yeah. it's like enjoy me until it lasts, because after me, no one would be ever better than me or that kind of thing. He's promoting. He's yeah. promoting. Of course. Rightly so. Shout out to Will Smith, and it's time for more yes. quick hits. Argentina beat Venezuela 3-0 and Lionel Messi scores his 81st international goal. Jules, Argentina qualified a long time ago, so this yeah. is not really a story. Uh, the story is what Lionel Messi said after the game. That's right. It was quite an emotional night because this was this last, the last game in Argentina before the World Cup. They're not going to play uh, again in Argentina. So there was like this big farewell and a lot of love for Leo Messi. Angel Di Maria said that he, he would be done after the World Cup for the international career. And Messi had those comments live on Argentinian TV saying, hey, after the World Cup, I'll have to think through a lot of things. And people are saying, panicking, what, what does that mean? That you would stop the national team? He would be obviously, um, what, 35 then? Does that mean that he would stop a PSG, you know, and Ligue 1 and try to find a club maybe in Jan January transfer window? Maybe back in Argentina? Maybe back in Argentina, all that kind of stuff. Maybe go to MLS. So there was a, and he didn't really clarify anything, but it looked great. The scenes were fantastic if you watch it. And it's good to see Messi in that kind of level and no one booing him, to be fair. No, and Slightly unmarked on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, if you haven't seen this, you have to see yeah. it. It's like, oh, look, here's the most famous player in the world. Wait, where? Yeah, who? I know where? he's only little, but name? still. Yeah. Um, like, totally justified. Just want to ask you really quickly. If he goes to Paris Saint-Germain in January and he says, guys, I know i got six months left on my contract. Let's just rip it up and let me go. 
How would they take it? I don't know. I think the big idea is for him to be a PSG player during the World Cup. I mean, ideally, they would right. want... After the World Mbappe. Cup, what do they care? No, but it, I mean, they still want to win the Champions League and they think that maybe with him it be easier and maybe he will feel that way and, and will not want to leave in yeah. January. I, I don't know. Okay. It's funny because in France, we, we saw that more as he will stop his international career after the World Cup. In Argentina, they thought, oh, yeah, yeah, he doesn't want PSG anymore after the World Cup, <laughs> so we see. And talking about Argentina and sticking with Argentina, Gab, they've put together an unbeaten run of 30 games now under Lionel Scaloni, who's doing a really, really good job, despite, you know, how poor they looked at the World Cup in 2018. Yeah, and look, I, I'm going to shout out to Lionel Scaloni, one of the good guys, been around Europe, smart, mm. took, took over, obviously, after the... the my man Sampaoli's disaster. disaster. Everybody was laughing at Argentina and so on. It's a very difficult job. Um, for me, these statistics, like unbeaten runs of games, I, you know, it's kind of a joke. Like, I know. I, no, I, I know. And I, I know. say this, obviously, I say this about Italy. Italy, yeah. Italy's world record. Yo, hey, yeah, that hey. did us a, fat lo a lot of good, right, in terms of getting the World Cup. <laughs> um, it's not really relevant because it's over time, but it does show, it doesn't take away from Scaloni's work in, in mm, really putting this yeah. Argentina team together again. Mm. Roberto Mancini says he's not walking away as a loser and he will stay on as coach of Italy. This is good yeah. news for Azzurri fans, right? I think it's very good news. So no uh, transfer to Manchester United as we, you know, we maybe we, we saw at the last show. Yeah, we had fun. That was good until it lasted. Great. The direction is great. He's fantastic. He's been great with those squads. Yes, of achieving the Euros and winning it. Maybe a little bit too early, but the future is still great if, as we mentioned in the last show, sort out the things that they have to sort out to, to go forward. Yeah, I'm excited about the front line in the friendly against Turkey. Scamaca, oh, Raspadori and Zaniolo. The future. Chiesa to come back from injury. Exactly. Bring it on. Pellegrini, one day he'll be fit. Why not? However, we're not happy at all, Gab, by uh, this video going around of the Palermo home dressing room where Italy were in for the game against North Macedonia that they left in a really bad condition. I mean, what's going on? Okay. So there's interesting, the interesting backstory to okay. this. Okay. So if you watch the video, first of all, it's not like they destroyed the restroom. They just left there's a just bunch of... There's everywhere. There, there's, yeah, the, 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 the bin is overflowing. Uh, there's cigarette butts in the showers. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of rubbish strewn around. It's not like this little rock star destroying. No, no, no. So the, the FA haven't spoken about this, but as often happens, there's people who are paid to talk and give explanations. And they, they basically it was twofold. One is they left in a hurry because, because they got knocked out afterwards. Um, they had to catch a charter flight back. Obviously, we're in stay in Sicily. And so they had to leave in a hurry and they couldn't nah, clean up after on. themselves. Secondly, um, there was even some people suggesting that some of these people at the stadium who made the video were angry with them because they didn't get any free gadgets and t-shirts and hoodies from the italian fa what? because they were all on a, no because normally that's what happens right they play they win and they say hey guys thanks for you know here here's some shirts here's some autographs blah 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 they didn't get it so there's a suggestion that this is some sort of backlash okay. for that revenge i don't know i don't know but i've seen worse dressing rooms yeah jewels playoff time in africa too eat Many of these second legs are finally poised. Even the yeah, teams that won so. away, we have, we have uh, Senegal hosting Egypt. Yeah. Egypt won the first leg one nil. Uh, Algeria uh, hosting Cameroon. They actually won away to Cameroon one nil. But anything can happen. Uh, Nigeria and Ghana, obviously, that was scoreless uh, in the first leg. Yeah. 
Morocco, who won every single game in qualifying going away to um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, That's getting a 1-1 right. draw. They're at home now. And uh, Tunisia winning 1-0 away to Mali at home. One I don't think anybody can feel safe. No. Here. Oh, and the away goals rule, for some stupid reason, counts. <laughs> yeah, it counts. Uh, I mean, if you take the, the Algeria game, for example, against Cameroon, Algeria playing Blida, they've never lost ever in their history at that stadium, so they feel very confident. Uh, it was... It was an interesting game when they left the ball to Cameroon, who were, apart from the first five, ten minutes, were quite inoffensive with it. And then Slimani scored, and it was a very important game under pressure for, for Belmadi and Algeria. This is great. We'll have the Mane, Mane Mosala derby again, like in the final. Egypt with a, I, with a narrow win, but he didn't play great. Mm. However, they're very good at defending leads. That's, when have Egypt play great? I know, but yeah. defensively, and they're no, so no, solid collectively. So I still fancy Senegal to go through, but this will be a hell of a game. Nigeria, Ghana, the Jolof derby, not much in it. It was not great, let's be honest here. But Jolof this is a big derby. rivalry. You know, this yeah. is a big derby. No. So, you know, this, this, this could go either way. Morocco, Congo, we mentioned. Uh, Tunisia, Mali. Mali never qualified. They never, never went to I a know. World Cup. Do you think this is their time? They have a very strong midfield. They've got Abdoulaye Doucouré, by the way, who decided to play for them uh, in this game and not wait for a France call-up, for example. So we all of been a little bit like waiting for Godot, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, a lot of those games we, with with very interesting stuff. So please go and watch them because you know. It's going to be well, you know what sucks football. about this, frankly. Um, before this, this also applies to UEFA. I'm not picking on CAF, by the way. Why do these games have to kick off at the same time? No, they all not do. Because, but, for example, the Mali Tunisia do. was at like 3 o'clock when it was 38 degrees. No, but several of these games. I, I want Yeah, you've got two out. at the same time, I think. They I know, but they the try. So you do 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock or something like that. It's, but you're right, you're right. You would want to watch one after the other. Gab, the sale of Chelsea continues. We have at least four bidders left in the process. And they've been told that there's a second round of bidding coming up. So they have until April 11th to improve their bids. There's a guarantee of spending a billion or something like that and keep investing a billion afterwards I thought it was supposed to be a quick sale yeah Where funny that how like oh yeah we could we could do it in eight days like yeah course, uh, yeah I don't know who's talking here whether it's rain obviously from they're organizing um, the sale obviously mm -hmm. they want more bidders and higher bidders because presumably yeah, the more money for them is <laughs> more money for them yeah. um, totally not clear what, what Roman Abramovich is going to get out of this if anything um, I don't know and if you have higher bids coming in, where does the money go? And is it more money that can't be spent on the club? Yeah. Uh, I, there, there's so many confusing things here that but I am really surprised that all of a sudden, you know, it's April 11th, unless the, unless the, 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 the first round know, of bidding yeah. was just derisory. Um, I, I think there's a story here, and let's wait for the facts. The Mirror reporting that Arsenal are interested in Marcus Rashford, wow. whose contract expires in 2023. Jules, this would be an interesting twist. I yeah. see what Arsenal need. I think it would be very interesting to see how he does there. We know that Arsenal will sign a striker. They have to sign a striker, maybe even two, if both Nketiah and Lacazette leave after Aubameyang this summer. Um, they want someone young. We've mentioned that. But, I mean, they want basically the perfect profile, someone who's good at Lincoln play, someone who can score, someone who can press. Erling Haaland does all that, you know? I think Vlaovic so is the one that ticked all no, the no. boxes. They missed out. Um, with Marcus Rashford, I think it would, do, it would be done a lot to what kind of mindset is he in? How often has he played centre-forward? Is he, is he a centre-forward for you? Or more of a wide player? I don't do know. I, well? 
I, what obviously I think Arsenal you should you need to be in the mix obviously you need a center forward and you have some money yeah. to spend and you've you know you, you've got uh, Lacazette salary slot as well but There's equally money it seems to me like a lot of this stuff is coming from Rashford's camp um, so I, I I don't know. It, yeah, it's, I want to know what he wants to do. Yeah, look, there's no bad assets. There's just bad prices. Yeah, that's true. Fascinating survey of club fans in the Mail on Sunday, Gab. A poll of more than hundred thousand Premier League uh, fans were asked. Uh, sorry, asked supporters if they approved of their own owner. So sorry, if, you know, you ask the fan, do you like your owner or not? I guess it's not surprising who finished last. And what surprised you overall in that survey? Okay, so. <laughs> The most popular club. Do you want to guess who the most popular owner in the Premier League is? I would say maybe a club like Brentford. Yes, like that. Matthew Benham at Brentford. Yes. 98.8% oh, wow. approval rating. <laughs> see some people who think that he's not doing a good job. Yeah, I don't, I don't know maybe who, people but... we sacked in the past. Yeah, do you yeah. want to guess who the least popular? Uh, it's Manchester United, yes, obviously. The Glazers. Sorry, Glazers. Just a 4% approval uh, rating. What I find is really interesting is there were just six clubs who have a negative approval rating. So in other words, less than okay. 50%. Um, and they are Southampton. Not really surprised it's been because they've been sold, right? Yeah, but how do they know the new owners are good or not? They're no, 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 no. Because they did it based on the oh, old okay, owners. Okay, okay. Newcastle, we're at 10.9%. I'm surprised okay. that's even high. Um, Everton, obviously doing badly. Yeah, Arsenal, not surprising. 30.3% yeah. uh, favorable. West Ham, just 15.1%. Despite the club doing well, uh, I, yeah. I think it's because West Ham fans are smart. <laughs> and they know that triumvirate. Well no done, go. West Ham Not fans. a fan. Well done. England come from behind to beat Switzerland 2-1 in a friendly. Uh, it's a friendly, nobody cares. But Harry Kane converts a VAR penalty. He has now equaled Bobby Charlton's mark of 49 goals. Yeah. The difference being that Kane did it in 68 games. The bald one took 106. He's just four behind Wayne Rooney's record of 53. Again, Rooney, for reference, I think it's something like 120 caps. Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, this is pretty amazing. I mean, that strike ra rate, the ratio is, is incredible. That's Jimmy Grievesian. Yeah, yes? I think he's 0 0.68, something like 0 that. 0.72, I believe. 72, just yeah. Just doing the math in my head. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we've said all along, I remember even a few years ago on the show on Quick Kids, when he was scoring, we said, it's inevitable, right? that he's going to beat Rooney's record and we kept saying yeah, of course it is he's only 28 still now um, and and I think he's this he can take this record to a point where he, I don't think he will ever be beaten again so I look and people are going to point out oh but you know bad teams like in San no, Marino but, but whatever but you know it's not like it's not like Bobby Charlton played against Brazil exactly every single time, time yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I agree with what um, Southgate said after the game he said there's a possibility that he could beat the record when they play at Wolves in June in the Nations League behind closed door because obviously there's that suspension after what mm. happened at Wembley, which I think would be a real shame. I know Ken won't care if, he's, you know, if he beats the record, he would be super happy, but it would be so much better to do in front of fans where the yeah. whole stadium really salutes you and tributes you and whatever that like then then being in an empty stadium where you can actually you know hear the the cleaners talking and to be fair gareth if you don't want this to happen next time go tell your bosses to do a better job, job linking up with the police and security exactly. and stuff like that and you exactly. won't have this problem canada beat jamaica 4-0 to qualify for the world cup gab we can never praise john herdman enough of course and first time since 1986 that they're going to go to the world cup it's tremendous and also canada Shredded. started you know in in the 
octag octagonal or whatever they the, 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 they call the final round of qualifying. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of teams that got that got a buy to it. Not Canada. Canada started at the very beginning. They had to play against the little teeny tiny teams. Yeah. They worked all their way through. I think in the end they, they will have played something like 20 games to get to the World Cup. Um, Is John Holman the only manager to have been at a World Cup for women and men? I would sure. imagine he would well, have she, to be. Uh, it's a great story and, you know, another one who fell through the cracks of English football but has made it back. And I wonder if one day we see him back here. I know, Why not? That would be lovely. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be lovely. The United States and Mexico have also all but qualified yeah. with wins at home to Panama and in a way uh, win to Honduras, respectively. Um, I mean, it would take something like crazy results. Or yeah, like they have to be like 7-0. So I'm going to ask you, Jules, are they going to be any good? What constitutes success for the U.S. and Mexico in Qatar? I mean, I think, I think it's, it's going to be a great experience for this, this young U.S. team to start with, for sure, and for Greg Berhalter, your friend, who I think will take a lot from that experience, learning. If you get to the knockout stage in the last 16, I think that's a great achievement for you, for your young team. But whatever happens, whatever the draw on Friday, you just get into your stride and just learn from it. Learn from uh, organization, logistics, obviously the team that you face again, how you prepare, you know, the training, all of that, because I think the big objective is not really the World Cup in Qatar. It's the one that follows in your own country. Right. That's what you have to be ready for. That's what you want to try to win. Yeah, exactly. And and this one is too early anyway, I think, for this young team and the young stars that they have, like Christian Pulisic, who scored a hat-trick against Panama. For Mexico, maybe it's a little bit different because they, they're not as young. Some are closer to the end. That Some generation. might say they're not as good right now. <laughs> maybe not as good either. Um, uh, and, and for them, maybe it would be a different experience. But I would fancy them both to at least get to the last 16. I, I think we're at the great. stage where for CONCACAF teams, at least these two CONCACAF teams mm. who qualify for the World Cup, the knockout round has to be the a minimum objective. I mean, Canada, the last time they were in 86, didn't, I, I don't think they scored a single goal. They, they lost the three games in the group stages. This time, they would be huge on the dogs. No one would, but again, same, go, enjoy it, do your best. You might get a point, you might get a win, you might qualify somehow. And, and this is going to be great experience for, for Herdman and for everybody, you know. And hopefully Alfonso for Alfonso Davies, 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 Davies hopefully he'll be that. fit. Yeah, 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 all of that. Let's not forget Oceania, Gab, of course, you love it. I mean, it's two shows in a row now. And New Zealand will face the Solomon it. Islands in the final of their qualifying tournament. And the winner of that match then will take on the fourth place team in CONCACAF, which is very likely Costa Rica. Look, stop making fun of Oceania. I'm not, I'm saying it's great. But I mean, you know, I want Tahiti to win it, but... This is pretty. This whole thing is, is is pretty incredible because they had this tournament in in Qatar. Um, they had two groups of four, um, and what happened was, and I, I feel really bad for these people who traveled, but I think there's the I think it was the Cook Islands and yeah. Vanuatu, both having COVID outbreaks, so they couldn't play. So in yeah, I think Solomon Islands played their game against Cook Islands. Then they, then the COVID came, and so that game was voided. And then effectively, Solomon Islands played Tahiti. Uh, I have to say I'm more familiar with Tahitian football than I am Solomon <laughs> Island football. I cannot tell you a single name or no, uh, player in the history of Solomon Island football. Whereas I can mention the legendary, we mentioned him before, Vairua, yeah. right? Who played, Vairua, yeah, yeah. who played the two Vairuas. I didn't realize there was more than one. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. Oh, is that why? I thought he played until he was very old, but in fact, no, there no, were two you of them. You had the Oxea star, Pascal right. Vairua, and then Marama Vairua, you know, with the... Uh, yes, the paddling. Yeah, there exactly. you go. So, but the amazing thing is, look, New Zealand are going to be heavy favorites. Um, and then they'll face Costa Rica where they're going to be heavy underdogs. Yeah. Um, however, 
if somehow Solomon Islands, if they get through, if they get to the World Cup, the amazing thing for me, they will have gotten to the World Cup having played just three games. Yeah, that's right. Plus the Cook Islands game that was voided. Yeah, so that's yeah. incredible. That is incredible. Holland beat Denmark 4-2, but nobody really cares because the story is Christian Eriksen wow. once again scoring. Incredible. Two minutes after coming on at halftime uh, for his return with the national team, nine months after his cardiac arrest in Amsterdam as well, in the stadium where he made his de professional debut with Ajax, of course. It's like full of so many symbols and, and emotion. Um, Mathis Delirte, for example, saying that when, when Eriksen came on, he was a bit scared even to to go and tackle him or you know challenge for the ball because because it was so unreal to see him there on the pitch. I think he get he's going to get obviously more more emotional this week when Denmark played at home in Copenhagen in the stadium where the cardiac arrest happened yeah. uh, against Serbia in another friendly. I guess the the level of emotion with the whole Eriksen family in the ground too is going to be even more. What an amazing story! We've I want him before. to get all this emotional stuff out of the way now so that he can just go to the World Cup and just be a normal be player amazing. and be Ericsson. Yeah, and he scored, he scored one but, and then hit the post on what would have been another screamer as well. Time for a Paulo Dybala update. Gab, you know, there's no show without Paulo Dybala <laughs> update. According to reports in Catalonia, he will not be going to Barcelona because Xavi thinks he's overrated. <laughs> overrated, Paulo. Xavi's uh, wow. a wise man. Look, I, I, I don't know if it's that. The newspaper actually reported it, saying Xavi actually said this. I don't know if he said it. If he said it in private, somebody can betrayed his trust. Dybala, What's nah. pretty obvious to me, that given Barcelona's situation, I, I think they need Dybala like they need a hole in the head, True. right? Um, because you play 4-3-3, is the guy a winger, he's not a winger. You've got Ansu Fati coming back. We'll get to him in a moment. You've got Ferran Torres. You're hoping to hang on to Dembele. Come on, man. Like, seriously, Paulo Dybala, uh, with the situation that you're in financially, really? Yeah. I don't think this is happening. No. More important Barcelona-related stuff. <laughs> right. I mean, we got a lot of Barcelona. So Barcelona. So Jules, and as I mentioned, Ansu Fati is back in training. Yeah, exactly, amazing. After two and a half months, I think, was three months out uh, with a with a thigh injury, he's back. They expect him to maybe be back on the pitch playing with with the first team in in three weeks' time. I think they will they will take the time, so there's no setback like we saw earlier in the season. is is great, and as you've always said, it's another. Uh, the weapons, really, for, for Xavi for the end of the season, if they can use Ansu Fati right, if they can find the right balance up front with our front three, he would be an asset for them. So Barcelona's most talented players. Well done. And never enough Barca, as we say, Gab. Plenty of reports saying that they're ready to let Memphis Depay go after just one season at the club. Why? I think, again, I think it's purely money because... So money. It came as a free agent, of course. Like, I think Memphis Depay went and he showed, he scored a ton of goals this season, he showed that he is a phenomenal player. I think in terms of ability, he can he can play for Barca, he can hang there, right? I don't think there's any question. Does he fit, is he the ideal fit for what Xavi's system? Mm -hmm. Probably not, no. which is why they got Alba. Um, if they keep him around as a spare striker for another season, you know, that's a big salary, and you risk losing him on a free. I don't see how they can extend him now, frankly. No, I think that not. would be extraordinary. So, Maybe you get a little bit of money back yeah, for him. You I get his wages so. off the bill and, you know, He's still you can young. register Frank Kessie. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk Kaylor Navas. Uh, he's doing his part oh. to help Ukrainian refugees fleeing from war. He's, and to be fair, Gavin, this took me a long time to get the story confirmed. I, couldn't, I just could not confirm it. And it, it looked amazing before. Basically, um, 30 Ukrainian refugees are 
living right now in Keller Navas's house in Paris. It's a big house. It's a big house. They live in the cinema room where they, they've got their, their beds and basically they've accommodated them all in the house, which is amazing. They, they look after them really, really well. It's not that I didn't want to believe the story. It's just like, I think this is such an amazing story. Really, really yeah. incredible story from Navas's family that I just wanted to be sure that it was actually tr right and true before I, we I think it also it. says a lot about Caleb. What a great guy. That, well, not he's a great guy, but that it was difficult for you to confirm the story because yeah, this yeah, means yeah. that his Either PR people out, didn't definitely. issue a PR a press Very release and saying, oh, look how great Caleb Navas is. For all we know, there's other people out there doing similar yeah, things. Yeah, sure. But... Yeah. This is this is a wonderful this is story. Fun, yeah, and well done to Kayla and, and, and his wife, of course. Bayern have signed a 13-year-old boy named Mike Wisdom. I mean, from <laughs> Borussia Mönchengladbach. You said it's the real name. No, I've seen it. We know this is his real name. The fee is reported to be around 300,000 euros, Gab, and Gladbach are not happy at all. These are the dysfunctions, I think, of youth yeah. football. Um, not just in Germany, but around Europe. Um, Wisdom is a is a striker. Apparently, I feel weird. He's like my thirteen year old kid. I know, man. It looks amazing. But he's uh, born in Germany. He's he's also eligible to play for both Ghana and for yeah. uh, Nigeria. Uh, it's three hundred thousand euros. That's how much they're paying. I think Labach only getting about twenty thousand. The rest is relocation fees and whatever. Mm. Like Bayern are operating within the rules. I would like it if people took a harder look at this though. Um, yeah, and I am 100%. slightly torn because Mike Wisdom has the chance to go and pursue his footballing skills everywhere. They have rules in many countries about you know moving from one part of the country to the other at a yeah. certain age or whatever. Here the family is relocating, so presumably they fill out the paperwork, they're allowed to do it. It still feels a little bit... Yeah, it eh, does. You know, does. like you would think that it there's really a way... Does. You know, maybe maybe Bayern can go and do this and leave him in Gladbach, for example, for until he's sixteen or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, no. I, I just and think this happens this a lot people, in the law of clubs. It's not just we're not picking on Bayern. You this know, happens everywhere. Put it this way: I mean, from FIFA's perspective, if, what can you if do? If he was though? moving across the border, this would not be allowed, right? No, I know, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just wonder about. Just want to make sure the the well-being. I'm not picking on Bayern here, but no, 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 no. I know we have to be aware of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely. Laurent Koscielny is in the news, Jules. He, he announces his retirement and rejects accusations of racism. This is a strange one, Gab. Um, the ultras have accused Koscielny and his close friend uh, Benoit Costil, the goalkeeper, who is still playing. Koscielny, as we know, is not part of the first team squad anymore after the disagreement he had with Gerard Lopez and the club. And the ultra said, yeah, yeah, they both are racist. There was a big investigation in the local newspaper, Sudwest, and, and Koscielny and his lawyer felt they had to respond to it. So his lawyer wrote a, a big statement saying that, you know, Koscielny denies any wrongdoings, that the club have, are backing him up, which is true, and that he's, he's not playing anymore. And everybody thought this was him announcing, this is me, I'm done for football. Actually, right now, he he's working with the club, not on the football pitch, but almost as an ambassador. And I think in the summer, if there's if there's offers, if there are clubs interested in his experience, and he's, he's still very fit and he's, he's injury-free now as well, I think he will go back to play if the good, the right project comes. But yeah, it's true that at the weekend, everybody thought, oh, this is it. Oh, thank you for all the good memories and everything. Well, it actually might not be over, that's all. These accusations, are they to do with an incident that happened with the fans? Or? I think his story is that 
went back to the ears of the ultras uh, about Costil Kostielny from maybe within the club. I'm not really sure exactly where they came from. And the ultras saying, oh, yeah, Costil Kostielny, we know that you're racist, which is, you know, they're, they're, it's a serious really accusation. Serious, yeah. Exactly. So I'm glad he's fighting it off because knowing as well as I do and personally, very closely, I can tell you that he is. And so I don't know where this is coming from, but it goes back to the, what we were saying about Bordeaux the other day on the show, how ugly everything is. The bottom how, of the table, the fight everywhere. It's, it's a really messy situation. The ECA, the European Club Association, are meeting on Tuesday in Vienna, Gab. And are we going to get an update on what will happen with financial fair play, for example? Uh, I assume so. I think April 7th, I think, is when um, UEFA are going to make their announcements. But obviously, they go and negotiate everything before. Um, there were there were some early indications published by, by Tag Panya in the New York Times last week, which you know suggested that they're going to have a cap where you can only spend. It's similar. In, it's reminiscent of mm. what they have in Spain uh, in La Liga, where you you, know, you can only spend seventy percent of your revenue on wages and transfers. That's amortized transfers okay. um, every year. I this is all very nice, but. Two things. First of all, it means no luxury tax. I, mm. I know they looked at it long and hard. It's not going to happen. Uh, you know, if this story is correct. Yeah. Uh, but we will know more tomorrow. But the other thing for me is it goes back to the same thing: enforcement. You know, because you're still going to have issues of, you know, related party transactions and all this other stuff and inflated sponsorships and all the stuff that got City and Paris Saint Germain. If somebody breaks the rules, if somebody, you know, how do you decide these related party? Um, sponsorships, how much they're worth, and can you enforce it? Or are you then going to go and lose at cats? Yeah. Um, I think this is something which clubs need to work together Definitely. if this is going to have any effect. Big blow for Leeds United and Jesse Marsh, Jules. It appears Patrick Bamford's season is over. Yeah, they said it's six weeks out now with the latest injury that he suffered the other day when he came off after what, 25 minutes or something. Um, against Wolves, I think it was. He's only played nine games. Well, not even nine, nine full games. You know, bits right. and bobs there. Uh, terrible. This is also a reason why they've struggled because he's the, one of the best players, the main striker. And without him, it's, it's more difficult. Six weeks, could he be back maybe for the last game of the season? Why would you even take the risk? I it's think they're just, safe. Exactly. I think they're going to be, you know, knock on wood. They, I think they would be safe. safe. Yeah, for sure. Gab, I know you love crypto and NFTs and all of that. So even Liverpool now have one. You must be happy. Yeah, so like this is a complex discussion. We'll have it. We'll have it another time. I'm surprised Liverpool went into this because there's so much negativity yeah, around, around it. Yeah, some of it I think is is functional. If you're just buying a token for two euros or whatever, however, which is generally the price, because and and, and, they, and these things are different, right? Speculating on cryptocurrencies is one thing. Yeah. Um, blockchain technology is something else. Non-fungible tokens are something else. These are non-fungible tokens, like the ones Arsenal have, like the one Inter have, and whatever else, who, which allow you to vote and win say, yeah. fan experience and whatever, right? I mean, I think it's a bit cheesy and what do you need for two euros and ultimately nothing's guaranteed. If you're doing it because then you think it's like some speculative play that they're going to appreciate in value, I mean, I think you're a freaking idiot with these yeah. specific types of fan yeah, tokens, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. These aren't collectibles. 
I no. mean, there's nothing stopping the club from, you know, printing out, releasing a million new exactly. NFTs every year if they wanted to, if somebody buys yeah, them. Yeah. So I think there's just a lot of confusion about it. It's simply because it's, it's unregulated. Yeah. Where it gets a little bit sketchy is there are some companies out there who use these NFTs and they link them to uh, cryptocurrencies. And this could be seen as a way of propping up the cryptocurrency price. Yeah. That kind of stuff is a bit dubious. That is not the case with Liverpool. Having said that, the reaction on social from Liverpool fans, very, very yeah, underwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, no. Given the war and the fact that Russia has been suspended, FIFA allowed players at Russian clubs to unilaterally rescind their contracts and move elsewhere outside the transfer window. Yeah. But several leagues, including Serie A and the Premier League, uh, decided to block this and not allow them to register, which is why Victor Moses, for example, That's right. won't be joining Burnley. Does this seem fair to you? No. Well, so you're allowed, but you're not allowed. So FIFA said... Well, FIFA, FIFA says said, you're allowed, but yeah, FIFA can't tell the Premier League I know, but why? So they block it because, what, it would make an unfair advantage for Burnley if they get... I think they figure Burnley's going to get 50 Ballon d'Or winners from the Russian league. Um, and Victor Moses is going to score 15 goals between now and the end of the season to keep them up. They would argue the integrity of the competition and but you other have a registration clubs can do it as well, window. Right? So what? What? Other clubs can do it. So if Norwich wants to sign someone... No, Norwich from... can't do it. No, no. Premier League clubs are not allowed to do no, it. No, no, I know. But FIFA said you can. You can do it. Yeah, but FIFA don't decide. No, no, don't I make know. The but why for... is the Premier League blocking it? <laughs> it's the Premier League. It's Serie A. I know because like, they they think they think it's going to violate the integrity of the, of the competition, and that if they wanted Victor Moses, they should have signed him in January, which is kind of stupid because there was no war in Ukraine and he exactly. was under contract and he wasn't free. Um, um, look, because everybody could go and sign Norwich, Burnley. You know, if he was open for everyone, they could all look into. Yeah, look, Victor Moses is a wealthy man. Okay, so he's not going to. We're not going to see him on a on, on a street corner begging with. No, a no, I know, but he wants to play However, football. However, it doesn't seem playing. fair to me that you know, it's not. He's not going to upset the. I think some point you need a little bit of flexibility. Yeah, yeah Victor I Moses agree. will not upset the competitive balance in the so. Premier League. I don't think so. Lots of talks in England as well, Gav, about the government introducing an independent regulator for football, like we have in in other leagues. What does this mean, Gav, and why does the FA oppose it? Because the FA say, well, we want more power. We'll effectively be the independent regulator, which... Are they? No, of course not. The FA have very little power. Yeah. In England, the power rests with the Premier League and the big clubs in the Premier League. The FA would want more power. I'm not easy with it. If you're going to go down the road of an independent regulator who answers to, effectively answers to government, he's mm -hmm. independent or she is independent, but you answer to government and you're protected by laws, that's one thing. The FA does not answer, does, do not get their mandate from the government. So that's that's very different. I think yeah. it's purely power struggles. There's pros and cons to independent, having an independent regulator. Um, maybe one day. It's a long complex. Maybe one day we'll get Gary Neville on and he's uh, a yeah. big fan of Perfect. it. And uh, he'll make the case for it and you can make up for yourself. But what bugs me a little bit here is the FA, this is purely self-interest. No, 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 we'll do no, it. Okay, yeah. yeah, we've seen how well you've been able to do it so far. You don't have the power and we're not just going to give you more power just because you're the FA. Fair enough. Wild scenes in Wales after Wrexham's incredible, incredible victory. Jules, we're only talking about this because you have a no. soft spot for the Welsh and because Ryan Reynolds is involved. Which is amazing. He, he had a very funny tweet after the game as well saying like basically he, he aged... 10 years during that game. They were 2-0 up, Wrexham against Dover Athletic. Then they went 5-2 down after an hour. 5-2 down, and they won 6-5. The league match at the weekend, which was incredible. They stay second. It's great. They're still on course for promotion. It's wonderful. I love Ryan Reynolds, and we should all love Ryan Reynolds. All right. I'm, I'm so, sure he'll come into our, come on into our so. show very soon. I really hope so. Sinisa Mihailovic is back in treatment for leukemia, Gab. He had strong words for his illness that obviously he... 
had before in recovery. Yeah, obviously, we're talking about a man, you know, fighting cancer here. Um, but Sinis has had so much support. Mm. Um, he's been so brave about it. And he came out with uh, with something straight out of the Slatan yeah, Ibrahimovic playbook. He yeah, says, like, wow, leukemia must be really, really brave to want to take me on again. Yeah. So everybody deals with the stuff. Um, and obviously, our, our best wishes. Yeah, of course. Uh, Go to him in uh, in his journey. Yeah. Uh, right, Jules, that brings us to an end. But oh, we're going to come back on Wednesday. Rather, I'm going to come back. Yes. You're going to be on holiday. I'm going to come back with Stuart Robson on Wednesday because we will have more World Cup verdicts, including we will find out if Cristiano mm. is going to cut her. Until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself. Love